The following is presented by the Cheeky Bastards. Race for impact, buckaroos, because your skulls are about to take a gargantuan blast of action-packed jackassery to the fucking ear holes. And audio exposure so mindable extreme protective headwear should be mandatory to listen to this level of inane horseshit. So lock and load, buttercups, and prepare your tiny minds for your monthly song of grade-A action movie mayhem. Filled with enough high-octane carnage, insane shootouts, and nose-busting fisticuffs that Michael Bay himself would weep like the little product placement bitch that he is. Now duck and cover my little cupcakes because it's time for the Men of Action Podcast. A show packed with enough testosterone-filled bravado, it could take down a small nation. So here are your hosts, those cheeky bastards themselves. From America, it's the notorious Scott K. And from England, it's the cynical Mr. Smith. They may be secret me, but you can bet your ass they're packing some serious fucking heat. Shit's about to get explosive. Ho, 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 you slag John sons of bitches, and welcome to the Cheeky Bastards are the Men of Action Podcast. Same old bastards, brand new show direction. I'm the Notorious Scott K. Ho, ho, ho. No, not really. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Steve from the UK. And we will be your cantankerous, opinionated hosts on this new monthly action-filled quest where we pit two kick-ass action films from an action star or action director's catalog against one another in a no-holds-bar battle to the death to see which one truly reigns supreme being that it's the season of giving for our first episode of this new journey we're giving you our loyal listeners the explosive gift of two violent christmas action movies battling it out to see who gets to play santa and who gets to be his sack but before we roast some bad guys nuts on an open fire it is my pleasure to welcome in my heterosexual life mate mr steve fucking smith mr smith Happy holidays to you, although we are recording in November, a little early. However, if you know anything about capitalism, Christmas season starts November fucking 1, and we are a couple days in, so there are Christmas trees everywhere, there's presents being wrapped, there's jingles and bells, and elves sucking dick everywhere. So <laughs> That's what is my, my favorite time of the year. Mine That's as well. sure, but... Let's just keep it to December. Well, yeah. funny thing is, is, we have Thanksgiving, so like Thanksgiving is just the American way of like we're gonna get fat, we're gonna forget yeah. how we got that's to this like, place, yeah. and we're gonna. Like, so when you talk about Christmas movies, that always breaks my heart that planes, trains, and automobiles isn't a Christmas movie. You know, well, I always, for some reason, I always thought it was a Christmas movie. I know it's a, it's a Thanksgiving it's a movie. Thanksgiving which, movie. by the time our listeners are listening to this, Thanksgiving. The movie will yes. be out. I'm so next excited. year at this time, maybe we'll have another special. Could be a turkey, we look at we, turkey. Yeah, we, I'm hoping not. I hope he fucks the turkey. I hope it. he fucks the turkey and but we I get stuffed. I hope it's stuffed. not a turkey, but at this point, with Eli Roth, he's, he's not I been know. on an upward trajectory, uh, has he? You know, so. He hasn't. But, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities for this to be good. He's a little bit like, um, I, just, I always think he's a little bit like Rob Zombie. He talks a good game and he's got a good knowledge of horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can't seem to translate it to the screen very well. So it really is all up in the air at the moment. Well, we're going to find out if his two-and-a-half-minute trailer from Grindhouse can translate into a great hour 40 fucking gore fest. Well, we'll always have the trailer. We've got that at least. <laughs> at least we'll always have we'll that. All, we'll always have that trailer for anything else. If you <laughs> want to see grandma's version of a turkey get fucked, get stuffed <laughs> yeah. by the killer. Well, yeah, I'm, exactly. There's no need to... How about this? To, if yeah. nothing else happens in that film but that, 
I will be ecstatic. Well, that's I might stand up and, and give it a round of applause. I, in the theater, I might stand up and just give it. And may, it, there may even be a tear shed because yeah. that was what made that trailer. It just, you know, it just built to that being like the crescendo. And you're just like, <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> the rest of the family sitting at the table and watching grandma as a turkey get fucked. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh we have God. some bugs. Oh, we are dogs. twisted fucks. We... <laughs> so the reason we have once again pivoted, as you can see, is we had a fucking blast, which would be a surprise considering the first year of the podcast, as all we did was shit on Michael Bay. But Mr. Smith and I had a real blast going through these action movies, good or bad. And so we were like, we really enjoyed talking about them. We enjoyed our time, even with Petros, uh, going through them, talking shit to each other, people forgetting how ratings <laughs> and rankings work on movies. So it was a good time. Aye. And we decided that, you know what, we could continue to try to come up with ways to you know, decide this or that. But we thought, let's talk about action films, maybe from a director, maybe from the same star, and not their, maybe not their bread and butter ones, but ones that are definitely will be known, but aren't the ones that are talked to death. Like, you won't hear us talk about Die Hard or Predator or Aliens. We're not going to go into the ones that no. everyone fucking knows. But yeah. we might jump into some of the ones from some of those actors slash actresses slash directors that deserve more, as Steve likes to say, yeah. reappraisal. And then we're going to have a fun way of doing it. We're not going obscure, necessarily. No, no. Just ones that deserve, you know, yeah. another look. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Most likely some of the sequels that may not, you know, that may have been a surprise that you go, oh, wow, you know, it is as good or better than the original kind of thing. Yeah. But we're also going to pit them against each other. So we each pick a film and each of these films we both love. So these aren't like a battle of like whose film do we love more. But now we're going to, we watch them back to back together. Well, not together, but you know what I mean. We don't hold hands and have popcorn. But uh -huh. Steve does look at a picture of me and, you know, every now and again pauses the video and maybe takes hey. a side note. <laughs> Over here. <Ooh> anyway, <laughs> so we're then going to talk about them, have a fun discussion, and decide which film we think actually was the better of the film based on a bunch of circumstances. And it's just all opinionated. Some of you are going to disagree with us, which is what we enjoy. We're going to disagree with each other. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be just like a regular Christmas. Family's going to break <laughs> up. <laughs> Everyone's going to yeah. hate each other. And no one's going to get what they want. So, <laughs> welcome <laughs> to the Cheeky Bastards Christmas special. Ho, ho, ho. But we have to say one thing, uh, and that is we want to thank again Mr. Ryan Rebelkin for adding us to the last of the Actioners Podcast Network, where he also added earlier in the year our dropping of Bruce. And we are very thankful um, for everyone who listens to our other show and who now listens to this. Uh, we hope that this is a, another good feather in the cap of the yes. Podcast Network and not just a steaming pile of turd, which is what we're going to discuss in a few minutes. Anyway, so hopefully we are not on the pure horseshit list for his, his podcast and we're on the <laughs> recommendation list instead. Give us a chance, please. <laughs> All we are saying hey, is give us a chance. If this doesn't work out, we're going to become crooners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of... We're going to bust in, bust in the song a few times doing this. Yeah. All right, so before we go into the Ebenezer Scrooge portion of the podcast and one of my favorites, which we have not had an opportunity to do for three months. No. So I I'll feel a little missed. rusty. Yeah. Right? Like I, I do. This is why, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I was... I was messaging you a few things. I was like, man, I feel like 
I feel like I'm new to the guy. You I know? know. I had to put on our uh, pure horseshit, a Nicolas Cage film, which is I put in our post. It, it hurt me a lot to do. It was not one of the best. It was like one of the worst films. I, you know, by worst, it wasn't as good a film. As, so it was the worst film I could recommend not yeah, to watch. Yeah, yeah. Not, and not it hurt to put, yeah. hurt to put that yeah. on there. Like well, I sat there going, I even tried to watch other movies. So it wouldn't be the one I could not find one. I was like, God. Damn it! Nothing yeah, else. Well, I've, had some, that I've had some problems finding a bad movie. <laughs> There's a couple I thought were a shoe in for being pieces of shit, and then by the time they finished, I was like, "Man, I, I really don't want to. I really don't want to say they are because on certain certain ways they delivered, mm-hmm. and I, I think they. I don't think they deserve. I, but I did. <laughs> man, I found a real piece of shit. I did. So. I did as well. And and, uh, I, and the other thing is, we had some good some good recommendations. Yes, that I couldn't talk about because well, we were, I was. I've been sneaky. I've been sneaky, right? Because when we get to my recommendation yeah. in a moment, I saw this about a month ago, and I was like, "Man, I'm not going to just you, let you this." Held it. I did I've that held, too. Yeah, for... <laughs> I held back on this because I was like, "No, I want to talk to you about this one." I don't Actually, funny thing get... is, is this recommendation wanna... was supposed to be for our last one. It's going to be posted by the time people hear this. With our next episode, the last episode for the Bay uh, Bayhem is on Tuesday, and I actually used the one from Tuesday for today, and I was like, I'll put something new on those ones, because I really want to talk yeah. about these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I, I've held back on talking about it, because I was like, man, I want to talk about this one. I don't want to, I don't want a JPEG to be the only thing <laughs> this movie gets. It's, so anyway, yeah. Well, as we kick off our Christmas special, we will start with some good old-fashioned grandma's cookies, our gourmet recommendations for December 2023, the last of this year. Yes. It's time time for the Cheeky Bastards Monthly Movie or Show Recommendations. Jimmy, this is some serious gourmet shit. And it is an even month, which means I, or I should say an even episode, as I get to go first. And mine comes from this year, from 2023. It is El Conde. This is a black and white Chilean dark comedy horror film from Pablo Lorin. It portrays a Chilean director as a 250-year-old vampire who's tired of life and just wants to fucking die already. This beautifully crafted cinematic masterpiece captivates its audience from start to finish with its engaging storyline, compelling characters, and stunning cinematography. It's got plenty of hilarious dark humor, gruesome, gory violence, and a truly unique retelling of the vampire story. El Conde is a true work of art that leaves you mesmerized. The talented cast and director's visions comes together to create an unforgettable viewing experience that will resonate with you long after the credits roll. El Conde, which means The Count, is a must-see horror movie for fans who are love horror and are sick, twisted fucks like myself. It will undoubtedly leave an impression on you long after viewing it. This came out on Netflix recently in September. 
or maybe early October. It was spectacular. Uh, it is like the Coen brothers decided to do a black and white <laughs> Spanish-themed fucking vampire movie. It was fucking spectacular. It is right up your fucking alley, dude. Like, I've never even heard of it. I hadn't either, and it just wasn't one of those things like uh, new to, uh, what's it called? And I saw that it was in black and white, and I, so I let, you know, if you if you go over to Netflix, it plays a little blur, you know, you can kind of watch the thing. I was like, you know what? This kind of looks fun. And I watched mm. it, and I was mesmerized, but I was like, this was great. I was like, so ecstatic. I was like, I can't wait to recommend it, and hopefully Steve gets a chance to see it, because honestly, once you watch it, you will say, that's a Coen Brothers movie that just did a black and white vampire horror wow. movie. It was really, really fun. It's on my list. Yes, yeah, and I, I, know I, I'm, I know I'm offering this up at Christmas time, two months post, <laughs> but hey, look, it is what it is. Michael Bay really interfered with some things this year, right, folks? Michael yeah. Bay took up three months. So that is my recommendation for December 2023. El Conde, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, and I do apologize. I'm an American. I'm an idiot. What are you going to do? All right? <laughs> <laughs> this is this certified, is certified gourmet. gourmet. I must say, it's subtitled, so if you if you don't like to read, oh no, if you don't want to read a book, you know what I mean? You might not like it. Oh, I'm, I'm in. I want, I want to see this. Mr. Smith, what is your recommendation for us for December 2023? Okay, so like I say, yeah, I saw this about a month ago, and we because we weren't getting to talk about our recommendations, I wanted to hold back on this one, because this blew my mind. There's a film called God is a Bullet. came out this year. Okay, so it stars Nicolaj Costa Wildow, who... He's in um, he's in Game of Thrones. You'd recognize mm -hmm. him. He looks a bit like Aaron Eckhart with a fucking beard. He plays Jamie Lannister That's in, right. in Game of Thrones. For those of you who I've know never, Game of Thrones, I didn't yes. see Game of yep, Thrones. I know exactly. I know he's yep. in. So, so it stars him. It stars a, a young lady by the name of Maker Monroe, who's in It Fault. She's the lead girl in, in It Follows, and she's also in The Guest. Mm -hmm. And it also stars Mr. Jamie Foxx. I've seen this trailer. I know as soon as oh, you said man. it, yeah. So, so this is based on the true crime novel of the same name. The film follows Detective Bob Hightower, who finds his ex-wife murdered and his teenage daughter kidnapped by an insidious sat satanic cult. Hightower takes matters into his own hands and infiltrates the secretive cult with the help of the cult's only female victim escapee, Case Harden. Hightower and Harden team up with the ferryman, a shadowy social renegade, to save Bob's daughter and to find closure for Harden from the cult and its ma maniacal <laughs> leader, Cyrus. Now, it's directed by Nick Cassavetes as well. So... This is Grindhouse, basically. It's kind of like Art House meets Grindhouse. There's elements of Mandy, almost. Mm. It's basically, it says based on a true story, but probably like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> is based on a true story, yeah. Yeah? yeah? It's kind of like, I'm sure I'm sure a cop's, you know, daughter got taken in by some gang and he, he, he had some female help yeah. to get her back. But what happens, that's not what happens in this movie. Yeah, Kind of like our movies are based on true stories. Yeah. Kind of like Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but honestly, this is ultra-violent, surreal, fucked up. Mm. Oh, only thing I will, it's a bit long. Okay? Mm. It's a little bit long. But I will take that because this this will blow minds. It's already been forgotten because it's like a, you know, pretty much a straight-to-streaming yeah. movie on like Hulu or some shit like that. But Oh, yeah, Jamie Foxx is in it with this, like, um, he's got, like, this skin pig pigmentation, like, problem. So oh. he's got this, like, weird, like, birthmark type yeah. stuff. And it just goes in such wild directions that I can't even begin, really, to get into. So that is my recommendation for this month. God is a bullet. 
directed by Nick Cassavetes. It'll fucking blow your mind. This is this certified, certified gourmet. I had it on my list to see when I remember seeing the trailer, and now that you've recommended it, we're coming up on the winter months. Get to sit home and watch a few more movies now, so I'm looking forward to this. Well, if that sorry, if that didn't entice you enough, one of the assistant directors has got an eye patch, okay? So I'm just <laughs> saying. That's how badass this movie is. That's foreshadowing as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, you know, you not, just, you not only too. is it badass because Nick Cassavetes is directing it, the, a, the AD has got a fucking eye patch. <laughs> if folks, you could have seen his look. He was like, what are you talking about eye patch? And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, oh. yeah, that's right. In the movie I recommended. <laughs> oh, it's there. <laughs> but yeah, so. And now it gives me great joy to put on my Ebenezer Scrooge hat for our Pure horseshit. Stay the fuck away from recommendations for Christmas 2023. This is some serious horseshit. 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 And this is horseshit. Horseshit. Ah, horseshit. It's horseshit. I will bah humbug 2022's supposed action movie, Run and Gun. This steaming pile of watery horseshit is brought to us by Christopher Borelli. To say it's a lackluster and forgettable piece of shit production is an understatement. This fucking limp dick film fails to deliver on any meaningful level. Plot is predictable, the characters are one-dimensional, and the overall quality of the films leaves much to be desired. From the uninspired acting of dopey-eyed lead Ben Milliken to the shoddy AV club cinematography, Run and Gun is a prime example of a movie that is simply not worth your time and should never have been fucking made in the first place. The entire premise of this movie is a man who is supposed to be along the lines of a maybe a John Wick where his reputation precedes him. We never see his reputation. I don't know what the whole hubbub is about this guy. He's supposed to be some badass and he is just a limp dick, whiny. You hope he dies throughout the whole film and unfortunately you don't even get that satisfaction at the end. So save yourself the disappointment and boredom and instead sift through old photo albums of your deceased elders because that would be a more engaging and worthwhile use of your time than this hunk of watery Peanutless horseshit. Wow. This is the certified horseshit. Well, I, I have never heard of this movie, so fuck it. It was on Hulu. Well, I mean, it had didn't. a pretty cool, you know, got me. It had a pretty cool fucking movie poster. Uh, I said, every time, every I'll time. give it a shot. Yeah, it's like it had like uh what is it? The it had like a seventies kind of feel to it. Like uh, what's that one? Um, free Fire. It had like a Free Fire looking poster, and I thought. Why not? And then I kind of saw a little bit of the trailer. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And oh my God. And the only reason I stuck with it, I was like, because this was going to, I knew it was like, there's my horse shit of the month. I was like, we got it. <laughs> it's like, ding, ding, ding. But I got to finish it. I got to, I got to do, no, I got to pay my penance. Due diligence. I, I do. I have, no, you to. have to. I have to take the beating. I just can't. No. I, I, I hoped at some point it was going to change. Like, there's a uh, there's a black gentleman in it who it was twins, but may have played the same character. There's no reason for it. They both die. <laughs> it's just just all over the place. It's, there's no, you're like, what the fuck is happening? So, yeah, stay away from run and fucking gun. Run and grab a gun if anyone tries to make you watch this fucking film. Mr. Smith, close this out on our Ebenezer Scrooge portion of the pure horseshit. Stay fuck away from recommendation for Christmas 2023. Okay, now I'll... This would be quick because this movie was terrible, but I've really had trouble finding a shitty movie this month. And I said to you that I watched 
Right. So I watched <laughs> I watched Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, thinking it was going to be a piece of shit. But I can't, in all good conscience, put that in the shit category. <laughs> I'm actually, that's like a little mini extra recommendation. And I'm only saying that because I've got so little to say about the like, the next movie I watched. <laughs> but this would be over too quickly and you just think I haven't done any homework, all right? So a little sneaky extra. Go watch Wel- Welcome to Raccoon City Resident <laughs> Evil. It'll blow your fucking mind. It is shitty, but, you know, you, you kind of... But in a good way. Yeah, you're kind of into it. Yeah, you're yeah. like, man, you were really throwing everything at this. Anyway, so <laughs> last night I've got a little bit of a soft spot for found footage movies, okay? Now... For every good one, there's 50 shitty ones. And so (laughs) it's fraught with danger. So I watched one last night that came out this year called Project Eerie. Okay. Um, Basically, it's Halloween 2020. For whatever reason, it's 2020. (laughs) Makes no, not a fucking lick of sense. Um, Jesse and Jacob Warner disappeared while live streaming on social media. This is that live stream. Now, that's not even true. Okay, so so basically these two kids on Halloween, they break into this kind of like government facility. It's like a it's like a decrepit one, though. It's like been left, you know, yeah. and they, they, they're yeah. just like so, fucking yeah. around and they're smashing windows and shit. And they find some old like sort of um, just some old like b- bits of like um, information that, that got left behind, just like, you know, files and stuff that I don't really give anything mm-hmm. away. But amongst these files, they find a C- uh, DVD-R. So they take it home. They get they get kind of security guards come along and they do they run away. They go home and they put the video on. And basically that's that's just the setup for the next hour. And you're now just going to watch what's on this tape. And it's just a series of unrelated segments that basically the guy who made this has got a bunch of Halloween masks at home and didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought, I'll make a movie. He was like, He's <laughs> like, so do I do heat? No. All yeah, right, we'll I do know this. what I'll do. So, so basically, there's like these like three or four, and um, like one of them's like the Amish witch project or something. So basically, they've got a friend with a funky beard, right? So they're like, hey, be Amish for us in this episode, or Amish or whatever the fuck you want to pronounce it. So, so they're Sorry. like, be Amish for us in this episode, in this like <laughs> segment, and we're gonna do like a shitty haunted house thing. Check. <laughs> then they're like, well, we've got a monster, we've got a fucking astronaut outfit from Halloween. Let's pretend the guy's crash-landed back on Earth. Grab us that shitty mask from over there. We'll have him be a monster. <laughs> Check. So there's just all these... Ri- but they're so <laughs> shitty. And that really is so insulting that these fuckers can get a movie, like, out there. You know, because I've seen posters for it. You know, I've seen, like, mm-hmm. this doesn't even deserve me shitting all over it. That's how bad it is. But I think you'll know what I mean. There are so many fan footage movies, and they are... For the most part, you know, yeah, you've got your Cannibal Holocaust, you've got your Blair Witch, you've got your Wreck 1 and 2, the other two suck. But, you know, so you, you, you occasionally yeah. get a good one, but this is bottom of the fucking pile. This is this is talentless fucks. And apparently this guy's made a few others and I'm, I'm not interested, you know. Like, that's almost like, yeah. oh, he, he did some earlier stuff. Maybe I'll check that out. No, okay? Because <laughs> that's bound to be cheaper than this stuff. And this is... Fucking cheap as shit. So fuck this movie. Project Eerie. And I actually let me just give you the guy's name. Ricky Umberger, his name is. So fuck that guy. This is the horseshit. This is your second straight found footage. I know. Stay the fuck away um, from it in a row. Maybe what you need to learn is 
You need to stay the fuck not, away no, from that's these. What I'm saying. As, I get it. I get it. I like can't you got to stop getting suckered I in. I find them so hard to resist because they, in their defense, they're usually quite short. So I thought, well, if I'm going to watch a piece of shit, I'd rather watch a short one. But man, you, you like, like this thing. Like I like fat bottomed girls, but every time I get with one, they beat my ass. So maybe we stay away from fat bottom girls for well, a little bit. That's true as well. And maybe but, don't yeah. keep catching a beating. Well, that's true as well. But I was hoping we weren't going to go there. But uh, yeah, so Project Theory, Ricky Umberger, go fuck yourself. Actually, Ricky, you and Christopher Relly can dock and fuck off. All right, yeah. we're done with you both. You sir are a horseshit artist. All right, so. Brings us to our brand new moment. Our battle royale between two violent Christmas holiday films, Fat Man and Violent Night. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, our Santa Smackdown main event. In the red corner is the 2020 American black comedy action film, Fat Man. And in the blue corner is the 2022 American Christmas action comedy, Violent Night. So get ready for a no-holds-barred head-to-head collision of these two Christmas action movie behemoths. Two movies enter, only one movie leaves. It's time for the Men of Action's movie face-off. Let's get ready to rumble! First up, in the red corner, it's Steve Smith's pick, Fat Man. It's time for the tale of the tape. Fat Man was written and directed by Esham and Ian Nelms. Starring Mel Gibson, Walton Goggins, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, Chance Hertzfield, Robert Boxdale, Eric Wolf, Susan Suchi, and Deborah Grover. Made on a budget of $20 million and grossing 1.7 at the box office, it holds a 5.9 rating on IMDb and a 44 critics and 84 audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Steve gives this 3.5 stars while Scott gave it 2.5 stars on Letterboxd. A rowdy, unorthodox Santa Claus is fighting to save his declining business. Meanwhile, Billy, a neglected and precocious 12-year-old, hires a hitman to kill Santa after receiving a lump of coal in his stocking in Saving Films, Fat Man. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I've lost my influence. Maybe it's time I retired the coat. You still have it. Some kids with a deer rifle put two holes in the sleigh, one in me. All I have is a loathing for a world that's forgotten. The United States military would like to procure your services. This is a one-time deal, gentlemen. How are you, Mike? Nicole and the kids are well, I hope. Where are you? Job. I'd like you to kill Santa Claus. I'm looking for the fat man. You can't be serious. This is what people actually think of me. Christmas is a farce. I am a joke. What's the purpose of your visit? Hunting. I'm gonna kill some things. There is a rising number of our youth making poor decisions. What the big man's head? Severed heads rot, they mold. They don't want his beard. I'm not shaving off a dead man's beard. Your workers sure have healthy appetites. That's why elves live much longer than humans. And Chris, he does the same? No. 
It's a giving that keeps him young. I've come for your head, fat man! Dashing through the snow No one horse opens You think you're the first? Think I got this job because I'm fat and jolly? So, Fat Man was written and directed by Esham and Ian Nelms, two brothers. They've got a track record. They've got a, they've done a few movies. Among the production credits, we've got David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. Now, a few years ago, I would have seen that as a positive. Yes. But these but these fuckers <laughs> ruined <laughs> ha- these fuckers ruined Halloween. And they've now done it to The Exorcist. Yep. So that's not a plus Stay anymore. Your lane. But I think they're executive producers on this, so they kind of just gave their name to it to maybe boost it up a little bit. Now, uh, in 2020, when this came out, nothing was making money. I'm not saying... I'm not giving that as an excuse as to why this didn't make any money, but nothing was making money in 2020, you know. It did play on selected theatres, but it did really... Actually, on Apple TV, Google Play, Netflix, it did really well. So, you know... Moderately successful, we'll say, but that's on the home streaming market. Well, this came out the end of 2020. We were still pretty much closed off from movie theaters. Yeah. A lot of movie theaters still hadn't opened. They didn't really open up till springtime well, of 2021. Let's be honest, they're still suffering now to an yeah. extent. So, so, I mean, it doesn't surprise me they did well on streaming because we were streaming the shit out of things in 2020, 2021. Now, not to jump too far ahead of myself, but this, in, this movie is a bit of a hard sell in a lot of ways, really. So, in the cast, you know, you've got Mel Gibson... Yep. As Chris Kringle. As, as, Ru- Chris. as Ruth Kringle, you've got Marianne Jean, Jean Baptiste. Billy Wennon is um, played by Chance Hurstfield. And we have the assassin, Jonathan Miller, played by Mr. Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins. My man. Mm-hmm. My man. So the film was written in 2006, Jesus. but was likely put in. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was written in 2006, and it was likely put into production in 2019. When a possibly down on his luck, Mel Gibson signed on to star. Hmm. Chance Hurstfield, who plays Billy, the vile, the vile little kid in it, he was cast by, apparently, he was cast by the filmmakers because he resembled conservative podcaster Ben Shapiro, <laughs> who serves as a model for a scorned and weird child. <laughs> now, now, after, you know, now you've got that That's knowledge. Awesome. That is <laughs> awesome because he makes fucking the movies, totally does. Yes. Eric, right, so in the film, the elves, uh, they've just got numbers to their names. Yes. Yeah, so there's yeah. elves. Because Santa has fucking time to know names, all right? Yeah, exactly. And number so, seven thousand. Hey, this Santa has got enough on his mind that he don't want to be dealing with that. <laughs> anyway, so, but in the cast, there is an actor called Eric Wolf, and he plays the main elf, Elf Seven, the foreman elf. Mm-hmm. He also plays a character called Foreman Elf, in a, in a film called A Christmas Horror Story, which came out in 2015. So this poor guy's been elf-cast, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, um, there's, a, a, there's a climactic bloody shootout 
between um, Chris Kringle and Jonathan Miller, the hitman, which um, took four days to film and with and was filmed in temperatures as low as 36 below zero Celsius. But I mean, you know, you're filming in Canada yeah, in the fucking yeah. We're in the winter, <laughs> yeah, the you know, what do you expect? Yeah, exactly. but, um, so, yeah, that's just a few tidbits of information behind the scenes of the film. When did you first see the film? Yeah, well, I mean, I saw it, the you know, when it came out. In 2020, so you saw it in the yeah, Christmas did. time of 2020, early January of 21. Yeah, I, I first chance I had to get it, I got, I probably, I probably obtained an illegal download at some point off of a shady individual who will remain nameless, although I, I did name him earlier in another episode. <laughs> I will say one day this this episode, this show was going to come to a halt because of Interpol, not because yeah. of anything else. Interpol will kick down a door one day when we're recording, no and such that's thing, it for the cheeky bastards. <laughs> there's no such thing as bad publicity. So, <laughs> um, But no, I was like, I'm a huge Mel Gibson fan, so as soon as I saw the trailer and my mind was just immediately blown, I literally saw it for the second time you know a few you know mm -hmm. a week or so ago i do i do call it kind of a hard sell this one because there is some actual quite sweet sentimentality to it between mm -hmm. chris kringle and his wife and, mm -hmm. and he's generally worried for the employment of his elves and mm -hmm. he's lamenting the fact that you know there's more bad i mean really the film is about the fact that there's more badly behaved kids than ever so mm -hmm. people aren't wanting his toys anymore you know, so there is some heart and soul to it, but there's also some real darkness to it. So yes. it's kind of like it has to do this juggling act. Whether it does it successfully is subjective. It's down to mm. you, really, I think. But yeah, I mean, so you've seen this. This is you've seen it for the first time. First time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how. Yeah, I, I was just going to quickly say I don't know how um, available the film is anyway. Is it easy to find? I think it was on Peacock. I think I think I streamed it uh, for free on Peacock. Okay, uh, so it's here in America at uh, the NBC streaming service. Our channel, you know, okay, yes, yeah, uh, is Peacock. So you may have Peacock, but yes, yeah, so it was easy to find on Peacock. I remember, and you remember the old, our old podcast. I remember myself and Matt uh, saying something about this film that was coming out when we were doing the Watch or Die podcast. Yes, and yes. I let it slip by. I don't know what happened. We, you know, who knows? I completely forgot about it. And so since that happened. I, when you brought it up and we were going to do this, like, all right, you know, I finally wanted to see it. So, again, I'm a person who separates the actor from their personal life. Absolutely. I'm a huge Tom Cruise fan. We all know about Tom Cruise outside of acting. When the cameras aren't rolling, you don't know if you want to be hanging out with Tom Cruise. Well put. Mel Gibson's had his own checker past, but I'm a fan of his films. I think you can split the two things. I can, I'm a fan of Michael Jackson's music. I know what he is as a person. So, you know, there, there's the, the two sides of those coins. I, I get it. So I, I, I don't go into a you movie You just bring a Mel bit Gibson. of maturity to proceedings, don't I you? I will say, though, when Mel, having a bit of this past does add a little bit to, like, his role when he's in Dragged Across Concrete and adds a little bit in this movie. It I'm does, sure that's it not lost It gives you a little on, bit of that. And Father as well. I'm sure these yeah. things aren't lost on him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it does give a little bit of, like, it adds a little, takes the shine off of him as, like, this pristine Hollywood actor that he probably had for a long time until his, his uh, drinking problems got him in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. No, <laughs> right. When has drinking not got anyone in a little bit of trouble? No one's ever been like, that guy saved seven people in a burning building. He was drunk out of his mind. That never happens. No. That's usually the guy who set the building on fire. <laughs> exactly. While he yeah. was being against it. Yeah. So anyway, no, you're no, right. I, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed yeah. it. The only the only thing is, is because when I watch it, <laughs> this is what we'll we'll talk about in our in our wrap-up of the showdown. 
I don't know that it's a Christmas film because this really is taking place in the new year and we've really just sidestepped Christmas. Like this is a, it's an interesting take on the film is the film makers decided to, it's Santa's a character, but we're not talking about Christmas because we have Christmas night, but it's literally, he gets on a sleigh and then we see the door shut like, and he comes back wounded. Christmas is not even a part of it. And it's like what happens post Christmas and why the government shows up and all this other stuff yeah, happens. Well, there's You're a lot like, going on. Yeah. And yeah. I think, yeah. I think so it's, it's it decided that, to skip Christmas, that, which I yeah, liked. But it's the a fact little bit. that Christmas is in trouble. Yes. The yeah, next well, Christmas then, yeah. is in trouble. And the film is about can he pull it all together? Yeah. So there's a Christmas next year. I would argue that. Is it also fun that Santa is technically on welfare? Is that also a little fun that Santa is subsidized by yeah, there's a lot of the government? But like, like, isn't that kind of like a? It's yeah. like, I was like, I was like, is Santa on welfare? I was like, well, this I, is awesome. I, you know, it's 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 satire, isn't it? It's subversive. Mm-hmm. It's high concept. I actually, you um, you talking about that black and white vampire movie, yeah? Yes, yeah. Do, do you not think this is a bit Cohen esque as well? Oh, it's it's dark. There's an element, you know, it's it's black comedy, it's gritty yeah. thriller, it's yeah. you know, it's got something to say about capitalist greed and family uh, oh values. God, yes. You yes. Know? So it's like you can appreciate it at a base yes. level, but yes. underneath this, under <laughs> the surface. But my thing is. That's quite, this is quite dark, this film. And I'm like, yes. I don't know who, I mean, who knows? Maybe it was aimed at Mel Gibson fans. Even Mel's portrayal of Santa, it's probably the most off-center of any portrayal. Because we're starting to get these portrayals of Santa that is like, 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 like even in the movie we'll talk about in a little bit, where Santa's kind of like tired of the bullshit, right? <laughs> like, 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 like seeing that the, the Christmas spirit is disappearing, you know, like yeah, all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. But the one thing that this Santa is not, there's not jolly. Like, this is like cheeky bastards, Steve curmudgeonly <laughs> Santa. Like, this Santa barely wants to. I mean, I do like that they even toned down the suit. Barely, he barely yeah, is just wearing yeah. jeans and work boots, and like, he throws on a red coat. Like, he could give two shits about being Santa, which <laughs> yeah. I love him. Well, He's yeah, just, I like, mean, so done with being Santa. He's like, I want to fuck him retire. But- I do think um, I do think Mel Gibson sort of underplays it a bit. He doesn't growl and grunt his way through. Like he he is known to do sometimes. He kind of growls and true. grunts. We do get a few oh, of them though. We, we do get, get some, a couple we moments. Get some, yeah. We get some mad Mel goodness. We in do. There. Um, yes, we do. But I think he underplays it for the most part. And I think the relationship yeah. between him and his wife is really sweet. Mm-hmm. She really is kind of like you know. Behind every man is a strong yes, woman. Yes, and I like that she has a British accent. They just fucking leave it. Like I, I like anything. the fact you know we don't try to affect different accents or make or, a, or like, a character be something it's he, not. He, or he suddenly says, yeah. "Well, you know, when I met you in London and that, that you exactly, know, we just leave it, it the it, fuck it alone." It yes. I love that they go into the whole diet of the elves to explain why they eat so yes. many sweets. And the military are like, actually, that makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yes. So once, so the movie really is about Santa being down as luck. He's subsidized by the United States government, and then we really, it really doesn't focus on Christmas. There's some things we're going to discuss in a second. But what ends up happening then is we have the government show up. They're going to pay him to use the the elves and to his make, workshop uh, to make these like guidance chips very fast for like missiles. Jet fighters, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so basically Santa is in, he's in the, he's in the military complex, which I thought was fantastic that they did that because if there was a Santa and there was an elves, the United States military would exploit the fuck out of that. Exactly. You can guarantee it. But they also they also drop the pardon the expression bombshell. 
that <laughs> if he doesn't help them this year, he's going to get less money next year. So they're even black. The American government are blackmailing Santa. How dare you besmirch the great American exactly. government? Exactly. So, <laughs> it's dark. It's like it this. Is, this is, is dark. It's so unique, though. You, mm -hmm. you know, it's unorthodox. It's It's got this... Um, sorry if I, I'm repeating myself, but I just love that... I'm watching, I'm thinking, who is this made for? <laughs> I, I, I think it's made for people who like Mel Gibson. And I also think it's for people who are a little cynical about the holidays. I well, enjoy the holidays. he certainly is. Like, I enjoy the, the holidays, right? And I don't say that everyone does. People... There, I love you the know, holidays. unfortunately, the holidays, sometimes people have bad things happen on holidays. You know, uh, some people have been beaten. Like, like people get, you know, there's some dark things that have happened in people's lives of during course. the holidays, which they probably don't look at the holidays as being so great. Or they're poor and they didn't get things. Like, this movie is up that ad. You can kind of have your own cathartic holiday movie where you can go, oh, you're watching White Christmas? Well, fuck you. I'm watching The Fat Man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. oh, I'm watching Die Hard because some motherfuckers are dying on Christmas. Yeah. There could be a cathartic yeah. use of these dark, violent movies where it's not, it doesn't always have to be Hallmark and shiny. It's all No, no. But at the same time, <laughs> I almost think this goes a bit too... I mean, not like... I, I don't mean... Well, uh, you know what? I think the filmmakers knew, and that's why they skipped Christmas. Yeah. Like, they were like, this isn't technically a Christmas film, but it's yeah. about Santa. But we're, what, it's almost like a... I know people are going to be like, oh, of course you're going to bring him in. But what if Tarantino were to tell a Christmas story? It, this is more of that feel. It's like, we're not going to talk about Christmas. This is the yeah. Reservoir Dogs yeah. of Christmas yeah. movies. I mean, we know Christmas happens. We just don't see it. <laughs> we're going to talk about the, the fallout. Speaking of Tarantino, there's some great needle drops in this movie as well. Like, mm -hmm. the score's got a bit of a, like, mm -hmm. uh... Kind of sinister electronica to it. That was my notes. Whenever we see um, Walter Goggins, Walter it had Goggins, like yeah. it felt a little bit like the score out of The Shining. <laughs> right? like it had like a, a Kubrick feel. To it. I was like, holy shit! Like, he is one twisted individual in this. That would be my biggest gripe of this film. The little boy I could have done without. I really would have wished we spent more time learning about Walter God Walton Goggins. <laughs> you know, because because the, the key is is Walton Goggins is very upset at Santa. He's pissed off, and he goes around collecting and buying people who have actual toys made at Santa's workshop. And there's like a little gold nameplate like, screwed yeah. into the toy that says yeah. made at Santa's workshop. You know, kind of yeah. like you get, it says made in China sticker. It's a little different. And so he goes around collecting these because clearly when he was a young boy and there's a moment where he shows like he had a very abusive family. And yes. I guess in some talking, when he talks to Santa and they're about to shoot at each other, as you do when you meet Santa, yeah. <laughs> what do you want for Christmas, little boy? I want your fucking head. That's what he says. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think he had a very tough childhood upbringing and he'd asked for Santa for new parents. Yes. And this is a theme in both movies that Santa did not interfere. Yeah. And then this person's kind of holding Santa responsible for it. It makes for a more interesting story mm. than some little rich kid who fucking didn't win something and got cold now wants Santa fucking dead. I get that's why we put it in motion, but we don't need that because we could just have him tracking no, it down. No, but not only that, but on top of all that, that kid has a fucking hit, man. It's kind of True. I mean, it's kind of funny, but <laughs> if we cut kid, him out, got... it would have led up to our battle at the end yeah. being so you, much more climactic. you don't get that. When you get a shady hit, man, they're in the shadows, do you know what I mean? I you, know, you, but you get I really would have liked to see more, because Walter Goggins is... Walter Goggins is the man, amazing. you know, but yeah. I just think that how the story unfolds and the reason for things happening does all... <laughs> I know it sounds silly. It all makes sense. But Walter Goggins... And when it, when it gets to, uh, when Walton Goggins starts to track him down, you know, because this is what this is really all about, is Walton Goggins 
using his skills. Well, it has a has a hateful eight pacing to it, doesn't it? Like it's a slow burn till we get to the end. It's a set well, up as an action, an action movie, movie but the, is it? this isn't an action movie. Not like not in the vein of what we would think most action movies are, because we do yeah. get little bits of action, which is interesting. They don't show sometimes the deaths, which I thought was interesting. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, which we'll talk about the other movie. They did not hold back on that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what could you possibly mean? No. In this movie, they do wait for this great end sequence. Like the the ending action is worth the hour something you sit to get to this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it was spectacular. Obviously, so you've got the sh- yeah. So we're all is is all head into the showdown between the two, and that's where it gets like real. Yeah, oh, you know, great, great action. And I, I don't know about you. I was genuinely concerned for the elves. Here's the funny thing. Here's where we differ. I was a little upset that none of them fucking got a bullet. Oh, <laughs> you, you fucking dumb. No, I look it. Yeah, that's because you're a psychopath. Uh, yes, I'm gonna. I'm agreeing with you. Look it. We're watching a violent action movie for yeah, a Christmas no, holiday no, film. I want to see. I want to see some fucking people well, die. Well, no, but what? But, but then we got but some but good, then good I deaths. think I, you know. I think it kind of works that. You, you know, you care about the people you're supposed to care about in this movie. Mm-hmm. So it does work. They're good at these guys, these Helms brothers. They're good at what they do. And I think this is truly, you know, it's a pretty, it's unique. It's just unorthodox. And um, to include the ending, where, where we won't give away, but it's not your normal, oh, the, the good guy or Santa's going to win. Sometimes it takes other people that change the tide of the battle kind of thing, which is fun. Well, again, they're all these little, they're all these little motifs and things that they actually make this film, I think. The odds are stacked against this film to be heartwarming. But I think it manages to be (laughs) quite heartwarming, really. And I think that's what... I think the problem is... And I would would, um, count Violent Night in with this as well. Although we're not not there yet Mm -hmm. with that. But I, I think there's... Look, there's a lot of Christmas movies, right? There's tons of them. There are. Just go on the Hallmark Channel, Jesus yes, Christ. Yes, but even those movies, they they all they sort of seem to forget the whole point of it being a Christmas movie sometimes. What I will say, without going too far ahead, is what I would say about both of these films is there's a point to them, and they work, mm-hmm. and they tick the boxes. Like I say, this movie's... For me, yeah. you know, I, I I like some quite sentimental stuff at Christmas. I'm not above all that, you know. I'm a I'm a softy, you know. Oh, me um, either, me either. Agree. This is, yeah, Agreed. But this this for me, you know, I I'm, I like I say, the fact that Walton Goggins and Mel Gibson are in this is kind of almost enough. It's a Christmas yeah, western. Yeah. No, well, a Santa it is a western. western. It really is. Oh, it leads absolutely. down. It is because the showdowns on this rural farm in Canada. It's all snow. It's two guys. Uh, Mel Gibson, Santa Claus brings out a fucking absolutely, western yeah. pistol. Anyways, that he's collected like he's the fucking predator. (laughs) Everybody's listening. You know, you know when you watch a good film is because when you talk about it, you want to watch it again. That's what I always think, you know. And just mm-hmm. and just listening to you, giving mm-hmm. your perspective, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm in on this. This is one of my, you know, this is one of my Christmas movies now. It's funny thing is, is I think it's a Santa movie, not really a Christmas movie, because like I said, it, it just it says we're gonna sidestep Christmas and we're gonna tell a different tale of what's. It, it's almost like a day in the life of yeah. Santa Claus post Christmas. Like yeah. it really does have a feel like they sat there go, we're gonna do a Reservoir Dogs type of thing with Tarantino. What if we talk about Santa? <laughs> we, we, and, take Christmas, Christmas. we take Christmas. We don't talk about Christmas. And yeah. they're kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, what's Santa? have to do yeah. to keep money? How does he keep going the in these modern times? They're like, like the we got it. Well, how does yes. this stuff work, yes. actually? And I love when um, Mrs. Claus or, you know, Ruth Kringle hands out the cookies yeah. to the, like, the soldiers. They all take a bite and then they're like, damn, these are good cookies. And I love that all they make, like even though Santa, we never see him eat a meal. He eats nothing but cookies. Yeah. Like, she's always making cookies. He's always trying to slap his hand away from the cookies. Like, there's no... <laughs> uh, 
What a movie. Oh, it was a really, yeah. really enjoyable film. But like I said, I think for me, the only thing, that my only wish to change was I really, because of how good Walton Goggins is and how his story is more compelling to me. I was like, oh, when he shows that little boy fucking burn marks on his arm, I was like, oh, there's a story. And like, we would feel more of why he doesn't like Santa as much. Like, you know, like he kind of associates yeah. my fucking life sucks but then I, I would count, because of yeah. you. Yeah, kind no, of thing. I, I, I would have loved that. I would that a bit with, a little bit with the fact that the school kid loses the science fair at school and he kidnaps yes. the girl yeah, yeah. and he's going to electrocute her in the fucking basement yes. of his house. So we, yes, that no, was kind of, that was fun. Is, so you're watching it and you're thinking, this film is, uh, this is going, it's going. You're forgetting that Santa pays him a visit at the end of the movie with the eye patch, well, and it's at real the end, dark. He's basically saying, like, 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 like Santa, doesn't, Santa doesn't usually well, no, threaten he's, boys he's, and girls. He's like, yeah, fuck Cole. It's gonna be far yeah, worse than Cole might come back. If your parents aren't gonna keep an eye on you during the fucking year to make sure you have a good Christmas, I'm gonna fucking keep my eye on you. So it's almost like Santa has become fucking Freddy Krueger. Or something. Where it's like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. you better behave because I'm going to be looking, I'll be fucking watching you, you know, with his one. And we, and we get an eye patch Sam. Hey. Oh, well, that know, was fun. You never knew you wanted that, but you, you, got you it. didn't know, but, you, but Mel said <laughs> yeah. you want it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so wrapping up our first film. Is this considered a Christmas film? And where do you put it in Mel's filmography? Like, where, where does it belong? And, you know, because like, like we just did with Michael Bay. You got your greats. You got your, hey, these are decent. And then you got to go, holy shit, why do they make that film kind of thing? Is it a Christmas film? And where does it belong, do you think, in his, uh, his filmography? Firstly, I will say... To me, it's a Christmas movie. I think it's Christmassy enough because I think this story is just about the very, you know, Christmas is at stake out here, mm -hmm. yeah? This is all about can we pull together and make Christmas happen next year? So, you know, the stakes are there. So, A, it is, to me, it's a Christmas movie. You've got the reindeer. You've got elves. <laughs> you know, you've got the fat man. You know, you've got Christmas music. This is Christmas. Like I say, there's not that many Christmas movies I actually really like. I like a four Probably, maybe I like six now. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying for me, for me, it's a Christmas movie because it, it's about the very fact that Christmas is at stake, ladies and gentlemen. And as far as, you know, I'll, I'll rank this high up, right, on um, on the Mel scale. Mm -hmm. Because... Like a must-watch Mel movie. Absolutely right. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I, look, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, for me... Is the fucking perfect movie. Nothing will ever eclipse that. But when I start looking at his filmography, there's quite a lot there I'm not into. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I love Mel Gibson almost more than I love a lot of his films. I, know I think he's a. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm. I, I'm maybe obviously this was my choice of film. So obviously I've got a certain attachment where you you love Uncle Mel, Papa Mel, I love, baby. <laughs> I love Uncle Mel. I think he does a great job as Santa and. You know, a lot of his films, I'm not that into, really. Mm. You know, um, I mean, obviously, Lethal Weapons and mm -hmm. Mad Maxes and stuff like that. But Bird on a Wire, The mm -hmm. Patriot, shit like that. I'm kind of like, I'm not really that into. <laughs> but obviously, as you pointed out, Dragged Across Con yes. Concrete is a masterpiece, quite frankly. So, but for me, yeah, on both counts, it's up hard. I originally didn't think I was going to say it was a Christmas film. But the guy is the main person outside of Jesus. I get it, you Christians. <laughs> relax. But the guy who actually is on all the fucking publicity at this time of year is Santa. And as a person who's also a Tarantino fan, this definitely has the era of... It's not a Tarantino film. I'm not saying that. But they went no. with the Tarantino direction of like, 
Well, what if we talk about a Christmas film, but we don't even focus on Christmas. We talk about why we got to save Christmas and all the other things that happen before you get to Christmas. So very much like what they did with Reservoir Dogs, we talk about the actual jewel heist. We never see the jewel heist. We see the fallout. Very similar. And uh, Mel Gibson and Walter Goggins are fucking awesome in this film. I when they're on screen, ah, yeah. just mesmerized Agreed. by them. And uh, I like you said, um, his post. It troubles uh, catalog. This goes in with Drive Across Concrete in a must-watch Mel film because I think people have bypassed him because of it. I understand that's your opinion. You're right, whatever. But if you can separate the actor from who they are in real life and you can just watch their art, there are two films out there that you're you're missing out on. And Mel gives great performances in both of them. So yes, I too agree with you. This is definitely a well-deserved dark Christmas film for all you people who are a little sick and twisted, just like me during the holidays. Hey. And if you enjoy good Mel films. This, this is right up your fucking alley. And now we jump to film number two, 2022's Violent Night. It's time for the tale of the tape. Violent Night was written by Pat Casey and Josh Miller and directed by Tommy Ricola. Starring David Harbour, John Leguizamo, Alex Hassel, Alexis Lauder, Eli Patterson, Cam Gandon, Leah Brady, Brendan Fletcher, and Beverly D'Angelo. Made out a budget of $20 million and grossing 76.6 at the box office. It holds a 6.7 rating on IMDb and a 74 critics and 88 audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Steve gave this three stars and Scott gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. When a group of mercenaries attack the estate of a wealthy family, Santa Claus must step in to save the day and Christmas in Universal Pictures' Violet Night. You ain't driving, are you? I steer a little, but the ranger do most of the work. <laughs> this is my fourth year at the center. How about you? I started the whole damn thing. We decided that you could have one gift. Early. What is it? That is a direct hotline of Santa Claus himself. I can talk to Santa. All right, revelers. Welcome to your worst Christmas ever. Let's go! You have $300 million in your personal vault. That's what I want for Christmas. <laughs> I don't want any trouble, okay? Something's gonna scooch up that chimney. Who is he? Because he's not your typical mall Santa. Santa, are you there? Daddy said you were very busy tonight. My name's Trudy Lightstone. Are you gonna help us, Santa? Yeah, Trudy. Santa? You're on my nice list. Santa Claus is coming to town. Time for some season's beatings. Who the hell are you? Boss, what if he really is the real? No! Such thing as Santa. These bad men, they're all on my naughty list. Naughty. That's naughty! And what do you do to the naughty ones? I give them a lump of coal. Where is it? I gotta watch. 
I believe in you, Santa. Come on. Which one of you did that, Prancer? So unprofessional. Now, when I was able to find some fun stuff on this, our lovable character, Morgan Steele, the uh, half-wit action star who's married to our protagonist family's gold-digging sister, is based on Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> and like, and like Mark go. Wahlberg, Steele stars in several films about the military. And he says, he this is Mark Wahlberg, because in the film, he says, if, you know, if there was a few less guys, he could defeat them and get them out of the situation they find themselves in. And Mark Wahlberg is quoted as saying that if he was on the planes during 9-11, he could have stopped the hijackers, which he had to apologize for in 2012. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, there is a catering truck logo, and the logo on the company's van is Farkas and Dill. That is named after the bullies from A Christmas Story. I enjoyed that. And anybody watching this film will instantly go, this reminds me a lot of, I don't know, Die Hard, Die Hard 2, and Home Alone, which it openly says, it's like they're gonna do something like Home Alone. Like it doesn't even, yeah. it doesn't even tongue in cheek. It goes, we're about to do a section with a little girl and Home Alone, and you think, oh great, and then we'll get into. It. I was like, oh wow, I actually pulled that off. <laughs> I was like, I actually almost liked it better than what Home Alone did. It was a little more violent, <laughs> a, little, a little more deadly. <laughs> so yeah, in this film, you're gonna get references and homages to Die Hard and Die Hard Two throughout the fucking film, throughout it. And one last little tidbit, David Harbour, who is our lead who plays Santa, he is, he's a twist. Uh, we, St. Nick, he is, he's a Viking killer who used to have a hammer called Skull Crusher. So right away when I remember seeing this, I go, wow, we have some dark Santas. Like, Santa is fucking tired. <laughs> he definitely is watching you when you sleep, and he's packing a fucking hammer called Skull Crusher. So watch your fucking P's and Q's, kids. Or either Santa with the Skull Crusher or one not Santa are going to fucking pay you a visit. Now, Mr. Smith, since this was your actual first time seeing this film, what was your initial impression from seeing Violent Night, which just came out at this time last year? You know what? This wins the Bullet Train Award 2023, mm. right? Because you'd have to, you know, it's a reference to previous episodes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Call I, back. Know I know that's vague. <laughs> I can't really expect anyone to listen think, yeah, I know exactly what he means. But mm, right, they're, I, smoking, I will, they're smoking jackets apart. Mm. Yeah, Can you some cognac? <laughs> Let me just say, when I, I saw the trailer to this, um, so this was last last year. Like, you came out this time last yeah, year, yes, yeah, yeah. sir. Yeah. And I just thought, I don't want to see this. So I didn't. But obviously you pulled it, put it forward as your choice for this month. Man, I fucking loved this movie. I absolutely I knew you would. was having a fucking blast watching this movie. Okay. Um David Harbour, you know. <laughs> he is just I, I do you know what I've got a feeling he's peaked with Violent Night now. That's probably his, you know. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to mm -hmm. him. No, I, know what you mean. Mm -hmm. I just think, you know. The whole stranger, because he's been around for a long time, David yes, Harbour. Yes. If you actually mm -hmm. look at his filmography, he's literally been in every film ever, ever fucking <laughs> ever made. He was, you know what I mean? Gone with he the always, wind. He crops, <laughs> he crops up in Charlie Chaplin movies. He's crazy. <laughs> Jesus Christ! And <laughs> um, no, but he's been in so many things in the background and as like side characters mm -hmm. and stuff. 
He's been in so much. I think this is like peak David Harbour. This is the movie he, sh- he should be remembered for, actually, because he owns this movie. No David Harbour, no movie as far as... And, and that isn't... Do you know what? That isn't even a criticism of the movie. That is just to say how good he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He, he's, not, he's not carrying a weak movie. He, but he's, he's just so very good. strong in the film. He's yeah. just so mm-hmm. good. The violence is insane, mm-hmm. you know. John Leguizamo is a fantastic sort of pantomime villain. You know, he just doesn't have a moustache to twirl. That is, that's one of my criticisms. <laughs> no, um, but, you know, that's mm-hmm. the kind of guy you're dealing with here. Yeah, I was just like, I actually was a bit disappointed that um, I was a snob about it last year because I could have gone to see this in the cinema, yep. and I didn't. So one of them things where you, I get it wrong sometimes, you yeah. know. Um, and you're looking at me like, no, Steve, you fucking get it wrong all the time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, you know, I get it wrong a lot lately. Um, I mean, to, not to get too far away from it, but my, I, my issue with these John Wick movies, like I've said before, is they're relentlessly violent and I just get so bored because when there's no violence, there's nothing else. Yeah, there's nothing to fill the, the space in between the, se- yeah. the setup. Do you know what? A great triple bill is this, nobody... And bullet train mm. because they recognize the ridiculousness mm-hmm. of their violence so and there's they think, the humor well, spread yeah, so, throughout so let's be them. Ri- yeah, yeah so let's be ridiculous of everything else yes. let's just go all yes. out yeah because bullet train has to be probably one of the most ridiculous films i've ever seen agreed it makes but no sense but, but why it's anyone would happen so incredible and this is the same you know this this is so good so yeah you know yeah first time watch I'm disappointed that I missed it last year from my own ignorance, and I didn't see it on the big screen. And David Harbour is just amazing. I actually got to see it on the big screen last year, and I'm glad I did. And I, like I said, I have the Regal Cinema Pass. You guys, it's it's a British company now. I Sinmark or something like that over there. I, I don't know what the name of the, the parent company is for Regal. One, I think why I like it so much is because it really borrows a lot of the fun violence, that sounds weird to say, from the Die Hard films. There are moments in this where it's nothing but like, you go, my God, this is a Die Hard reference. Like everything from the, there's a, a, a hit team that's got to come up on sleds and they may or may not be a part of with the villain. That's Die Hard 2. Uh, a woman may or may not stab a, stab a guy in the neck and face with an icicle. Die Hard 2. Uh, people are breaking in to steal something out of a fucking vault on Christmas Eve. Die Hard. Like, And then it just goes, the little girl talks about the movie um, uh, Home Alone and literally sets up her own traps. You're like, okay. And then you're like, these are even better. Like, yeah. fucking Macaulay Culkin's a fucking boy. <laughs> but I mean, like, this Home Alone is old enough now to be true. able to be referenced yeah. in other films, isn't it? It's not like you're ripping it off. And even it? the people are like, you said, like, they're like, these fucking traps aren't going to work. I see. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they fucking. <laughs> oh, so the, the, what make what sells it, though, is the humor, too. And, and the humor is dark, but funny. What's her name there from? She plays the mom. In all of the Christmas, all the uh, National Lampoon's vacations, there. Beverly D'Angelo. Beverly D'Angelo is fucking spectacular and has some of the best little lines when they're at the family house and she's on the phone with some U.S. senator and she's, you know, I want you shove it up your box or whatever. It's just the things she's saying as she's walking in and out of frame are just fucking choice. And some of the things that are said and that are done are fucking hilarious like you laugh your ass off and then like we talked about on dropping a bruce the gore in this they decided you know what we're making a dark comedic grindhouse style 
movie about Santa having to become John McClane on Christmas Eve. And But he, like John McClane, has some skills, but it takes him a little bit to remember those skills. And he's only as good as he is when he gets the fucking sledgehammer. And that sledgehammer scene, now look, I'll say this too. It is very reminiscent of like, and I don't know if it was intentional. Or if it's just a, they just didn't see it. But it had these moments of like old 80s movies where like villains show up out of nowhere. You're like, I felt like five guys walked into that barn. And like, he kills it feels like 30. And you're like, and it's, such a, and it's such a small space. You're like, how do the rest of them not know what's happening in this barn? But at the same time, I'm all sitting there going, I don't care. Just keep sending the pigs in for slaughter. I don't even care. Yeah. I don't care why they don't know that he's in there. How they aren't hearing the rest of their squagging. Yeah, brutalized. I mean, I actually felt like in both films, there were times when I wanted to like, I was clearly overthinking, you know. <laughs> Steve. Yes. yes, I was like, I was like, Scott, shut the fuck up, shut up your brain, enjoy this. Like, yeah. there's Santa Claus is killing people with a sledgehammer and ice skates, and you're just like, why am I, why am I, why am I criticizing yeah. how many guys came in at this moment? I don't care. Exactly. I actually, I think we need another thirty. I want to see a few more kills. Yeah, keep it going. Keep it it really was like a video game at that moment because it was like you could tell the 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 creators were like, what cool kill can I come up with now? You know what I mean? Like, What's in this barn that we can use That's to decapitate, kill, bloody, destroy? You know, it's just... And then my favorite, without getting too much away, is when he finally goes up the chimney with somebody. That... I, you know, the funny thing is, when I rewatched it, I forgot that happened. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Right? And I've forgotten yeah, yeah. that that's what, how, you know, we kind of get past that part. And when it happened, I was like, oh, my God, that was fucking fantastic. Yeah. Like, that was, that was amazing. brilliant. I was like, this yeah. is what I came for. Well, I want to give a shout out to... Um, Leah Brady who plays Trudy the little mm -hmm. girl because she, she was, was great. great she is she's the heart of the story she's what keeps this Santa grounded in Christmas and keeping him from just turning full back to Viking he was like nicked in the red or whatever you know what I mean? Ooh, <laughs> when, yeah, yeah. when they show that one scene of him standing there that you're like oh alright that's kind of what I mean about um, like Christmas movies They why so many of them are so mediocre is they kind of forget why they're there in the first place and I think the relationship between Father Christmas and Trudy, mm -hmm. it's like you said, yeah, it's the heart mm -hmm. of the movie. That has to work. Well, he's making fun of everything else. Like the directors are making, like you said, they're making fun of capitalism, making fun of even today's teens. This one guy's like, hashtag blah, you know, it's fucking, yeah. I, I did want him to die though. I'm going to be honest, <laughs> honest with you. I'll I wanted fair, that yeah. kid to die. Yeah. But like they yeah. make fun of all these, even especially in America, people become during the holiday season, it's all about greed. It's all about just this blind ignorance and arrogance. And yet this one little girl still holds on to, you know, the, the, the Christmas spirit. Well, what Christmas is really yeah. about, you yeah. know? And the one thing she yeah. wants for Christmas is her parents get back together. She's not asking yeah. for anything else, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and, and, and she yeah. keeps him as a Santa going. The writer said he's John McClane as Santa Claus, but not as adept as John McClane. It's like, we're going we're gonna to let him slowly progress to him remembering who he was. Because he even says... It's been a long time since I was that person, what, like 11,000 years or whatever it was he was? Yeah, because then you get suspense, don't you? You get like, mm -hmm. you're kind of like, come on, here we go, you know. Yeah. And then he then he, he sort of fails and doesn't quite. Oh, he gets so his ass when, a couple of times. So that when he does finally, you know, the you get the eureka moment and he's like, oh, I am, I know I am now. And he grabs the fucking hammer. Yeah. It's glorious, you know. Well, the fun of it is, is the very first kill in Die Hard is when Bruce Willis is wrestling with what's his name's brother. And they go down, and they actually tumble down the, down stairs. the stairs, and he breaks the guy's neck. Well, in this one, he get, puts a guy out the window, and then he's caught up in the lights, and he goes out with him. So it's a very similar, like, they're, like, homaging it. And one guy goes through a fucking icicle, and Santa just bounces he's off on you. Piles <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, like, the, the, the first kills are even like, all right, we're going to. And I have no problem with that. Obviously, I loved it. I mean, because it's not Die Hard, but you feel you feel the references of Die Hard heavily in this film. Oh, it's yeah. It's a heavy yeah. uh, reference. But it still but has its own identity. Has its complete own identity, yes. 
Yes, a hundred percent complete own identity, which is. I mean, look, I won't say the name, but there's a certain guy I may or may not like as a director. So I can uh, appreciate when other film directors are doing it and doing it well. Because it's easy, right? Copy, paste. And the last two films, they've been, you know, inspired or referenced, but they did their own thing. Mm. And not once do I think that either of these films are a Tarantino film but I can, or a Die Hard film. But I can see where they were getting their strong references and they were good enough to be able to make the, their own film. Well, yes. those of us who know, know, but also I don't say Violent Night is like, oh, it's just a Die Hard ripoff. Not even close. No. I kind of now wish Die Hard had as much gory action <laughs> well, as you know, this one does. That's, that is a selling point, though, isn't it? That if if yeah. someone told me a film's a Die Hard ripoff, I'm like, well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In. yeah. But no, this is more than that. You know, it's, it's got its own, um, yeah, like we say. Got its own identity. It's fun. It's got great side characters. Yeah, I mean, just like Beverly D'Angelo's phenomenal. The little girl. Ah, oh, the dad. I could give like some of my. Like, I don't give two shits. The guy who plays the Mark Wahlberg wannabe. He is funny. Even the douchebag kid. I like him because he just plays a great little douchebag kid. Leguizamo for me was maybe, and I, I will preface this is. I probably don't feel as strongly about him and feeling he was a weak spot because I watched Fat Man for the first time and then I watched this film. So it's unfair to try to compare him to Walton Goggins because Walton Goggins yes. yeah. is so good as the villain, delicious as the villain, that Le, Le Guzamo, in comparison, it, I mean, they're not even in the same fucking stratosphere. That's how good Walton is. And I like John and, and things. Like, he was great in last year's The Menu. He's spectacular as the at, you know, like a Hollywood douchebag himself. He's Mr. Reliable. He is. But I did feel he was a little a little forced in, in his attempt to be the villain. But he, they did have some fun tongue-in-cheek moments. Like, they referenced a few things, making fun of... Like, like, clearly made fun of Die Hard. What are you, like a security guard? <laughs> like a security guard? There are some moments where there's a, a few choice lines from him where he's even kind of referencing Die Hard and referencing these other films that they're clearly referencing in the film. And some of my favorite moments, obviously, besides that barn scene, was when they do literally reenact their own version of fucking Home Alone with some awful... Brutal and deadly <laughs> fucking parlor tricks. It was fucking awesome. Yeah, they go there. All right, my friend, in your opinion, should this film be considered a Christmas film? And where does it belong in the, I want to say, brief Davis filmography, not the, the filmography we now know him as? Like, obviously, Stranger Things, Black Widow. Uh, he also plays, what's the one guy who's got the horn broke off? Hellboy. That wasn't his Hellboy. fault, though. No, 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 yeah. He's also in Hellboy, but, you know, th th these are the things he's starting to become known for. Stranger Things has definitely put him on the map as far as now an actor that people recognize more than just some side character. So, what are your feelings on both? I think if this is the only film David Harbour is remembered for, he did it. He did, you know, that's well, that's worthy of being remembered for. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've looked at his filmography. I think this is the best thing he's done, personally. I mean, Stranger Things is... A different thing. Yeah, it's a show. Yeah, yeah that's TV. Yeah, yeah. That's TV. We're not talking about TV. We talk movies here. <laughs> but we do recommend TV every now and again. <laughs> we do now, not, but not very often. It's true. So for me, if this is what David Harbour's remembered for, he's a lucky man mm -hmm. and a skilled man. And where does this rank? Uh, Christmas movies. This is a Christmas movie. Yeah, because, this, yeah it's on Christmas yeah, because, Eve. <laughs> yeah, this is you know this is um, the moral of the tale. You know, it's it, it's a it, it's the the, you know the magic of belief mm -hmm. and Christmas. This is like the same as the same as Fat Man in the sense that the thing that's going to kill Santa is people not believing in it. Yeah, that's what yeah. both of these films really are trying to say. You know, um, so yeah, for me, absolutely up there as as a you know peak harbor and a great Christmas movie that is now on my 
you know, watch list for. I've got a list of films I watch every Christmas, and like I say, there were about four, four. <laughs> now there's six. So yeah, definitely. I would say you put this in with Die Hard, and now also Fat Man would be great if you're into the violent or side of Christmas. Where there's still a bit of a tale of hope. These are great films to go in. They and they belong to be Christmas films. If the nonstop copy paste hallmarks are considered Christmas movies, where everything turns out bright and shiny, these are a little bit more for the people who want a little more darker edge to their Santa. They want a yeah. little extra whiskey in the eggnog with Santa. And oh. the, when someone's getting their nuts roasted on an open fire, they actually want someone's real nuts being roasted by Santa on an open <laughs> <Absolutely>. fire. Absolutely. <laughs> and I agree with you. This is probably outside of Stranger Things, as we talked. This is his best film. And there's there. There was talk that there was going to be a sequel. So again, that you know, you always hold your breath with sequels because it's hard sometimes to uh, to repeat the magic of the first, as we are well versed in in this in films since the '80s. But I will hold out because he put an excellent, and he had the size of this of the, like a brutal Santa, right? Like he's like six six. He's like two hundred eighty. He looks like a football player. He's a monster. And so when he's wielding that fucking, you know, he's wielding the fucking uh, mallet, you're like, wow, well done for both. Uh, and I enjoyed the hell out of them. Let's go to the card. We pit two against each other to see who comes out on top as the best. Well, it's subjective to obviously taste. Violent Christmas movie for this episode. Best action sequences. Mr. Smith, which of the films had the best action sequence or sequences in your opinion? I want to preface that this is not to say that either movie is lacking in these things. We're just discussing, as you would in any kind of thing, which did you prefer? So I don't want our listeners to think, like, if we pick one over the other, that other one's a piece of shit. Yeah. Let's be honest. Even the John Wick, some of the movies have the better action sequence than the other ones. It's just the yeah. fucking way it goes. Yeah. They would, well, all right? Write Santa a letter and complain. <laughs> hey, I don't know what to tell you. Eat a dick over here. I would have to concede that. <laughs> Violent Night has got <laughs> not only, I mean, it's clearly got more action. That's not yes, even, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I would say the action is better. I mean, one thing we have to point out the Violent Night is actually brought to us by the team who uh, do Bullet Train. And well, the, well, the producer is David Lee. They're making it happen. Yeah. They're making it yeah. happen right now. So I, I'm very excited what they're going. That would be foolish of me to argue um, that. That a fat man's got better action than. I mean, it is a look. There's one, you know, set pit, main set piece. It is a spectacular maybe, set piece. I maybe mm -hmm. say maybe say the last like 15 minutes of mm -hmm. Batman is kind of like an extended sort of action sequence. But Violent Night just ha a it has them in abundance. Mm -hmm. B it's done by the premier team mm -hmm. of these guys working in America right now. So you've just got to concede that Violent Night has the best action. I too will. Pick Violent Night, and I'll be honest with you, I forgot how much violence was in it. Like, I knew there was some in it. I knew it was towards the end, but I mean, as we was going through, I was like, I almost felt like I was just being a dick. I'm like, yeah, of course violence. I mean, there's like a thousand action sequences. I was like, holy shit. It really did stick up to its name. A movie that's called Violent Night, guess what? It was violent, and it was at night. <laughs> they really did live up to the title. It did not sell us short on its on its title with Violent Night at all. No, exactly. I guess, I guess Fat Man... Didn't live up to itself because Mel Gibson wasn't that fat. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, neither of them are really fat. Let's be honest. No, that's fair. <laughs> they were more svelte-built uh, Santa than anyone. Best supporting characters. Now, sir, who do you think had the best supporting cast of characters in it? Oh, I'm going to go with Fat Man. Like, I agree with you about John Leguizamo, mm -hmm. but he's Mr. Re he's one of those guys. Mm -hmm. He's he's just reliable. He's mm -hmm. going to show up. 
and he's going to do what you ask him to do. Whereas I think Walton Goggins, I did read, so I did actually, I did watch an interview with the directors of um, Batman, and they said Walton Goggins just really went into the role. They said he totally, like, when he read the script, he was like, I, I'm that guy, I want to be, I'm really passionate about it. So I think um, Marianne Jean Baptiste's mm-hmm. Ruth Kringle was great. Mm-hmm. She was. Walton Goggins was great. Billy Wen- uh, Chance Hurstfield, mm-hmm. who plays Billy Wenner, the little shit mm-hmm. kid, he was pretty cool in it because mm-hmm. he was so cold. He was. And yeah, evil. Yeah. And he was like nine. You know, or whatever how old he is, I don't know, maybe 12 or something. <laughs> that would be like my only real flaw in Violent Night. And, you know, I'm, I'm having to be, I'm, ha- I'm having to nitpick at this point. Very fine. So this is not really a main, a major criticism. But I, I just felt like, yeah, a lot of the family characters were so disposable. Yeah, especially the main family characters. All of the villains were yeah. disposable. But again, this is me having to pick sides. So I'm going to say Fat Man had the better cast although yeah it was a smaller cast i would agree um for a little bit i was i was deciding uh beverly d'angelo was fantastic but we don't get enough of her no. the father and mother could care less about the sister and the boy husband and that little kid they were fun but we don't get enough of them either like you said the the villains are very interchangeable trudy's cute but i mean just walton goggins alone is why i p- would pick fat man because he is <laughs> so mesmerizing where like you said david harbour this is his film, and everyone else is just kind of like doing a really good job of being in it with him. But where Walton Goggins, like, there are moments like sometimes you go, Walton Goggins out doing Mel right now? Like, there are times you're kind of like, I. And then Mel will, you know, he'll do his little grunt or something. You go, okay, Mel's, you know, right, we're, 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 no, we're no. going tick, tick for <laughs> yeah, tag yeah. right now. But yes. he was so good. Like I said, I kind of was wishing he was also in this film. <laughs> like, it would have been great if he could have been in oh, both Walton films. Giggin, Walton Goggins was the villain in Violet oh, Night, yeah. yeah. It's like a four or five star movie for me at that point. So. <laughs> but yes, I agree. Uh, we will give Fat Man the best supporting characters. Funniest moments. Funniest moments. Which film had the funniest moments for you? I'd have to say Violent Night. I would agree because I think it's the I think it's the more comedic of the films. Yeah, the other I don't one's think very, very dark. Very... It's black. It's yeah. dark humor, but it's like it's really very dark. dark. Yeah, very, very dark. dark. Yeah, as our souls, yeah. dark as our souls. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't really think of anything specific. I found funny about Violent Night, but I mean the overall tone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, look, I know we know this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Just come with us, is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so and that in itself, it just means you can just—it's a comfort movie. You know, mm-hmm. you can just chill with it, and you're just like, ah, this is this is you know, there's funny moments, there's clever moments, there's hyper violent moments, mm-hmm. there's great action as well. So yeah, I think um, I think the funniest of the the funnier of the two is definitely. Violent Night. I think Fat Man is more satire mm-hmm. than yeah. comedy. So, Violent Night. I, I would agree with you. And the, the two main points for me is Beverly D'Angelo, every time she's on screen, and the things she says are just so spectacular. Like She she is the comedic element. And then they pulled off a, a more violent version of fucking Home Alone. And they, and they yeah. even said they were going to do it. The little girl's like, oh, I can set up traps like Home Alone. You're like, oh, okay. And they pull it off. And they're funny moments, too. Like, they're dark, but funny, but... You know, the guy steps on the thing and instead of, you know, the old nail trick going in the foot, it goes to his chin. Like, oh, I was yeah, like, okay. I, about that. I was like, okay. <laughs> Most original plot. The more memorable plot for you, Mr. Smith. Which film has the more memorable plot when you look back on it and someone says, hey, what's the plot of these movies? What's the more memorable plot? Or maybe maybe, maybe more original plot? Is that a better way to say it? The more original um, plot? I'm going to say, on, on any count, I would say Fat Man. 
I think it's more more original. Yeah, we'll go more original. It's a better statement. For yeah, um, you know, because there's just more to discuss in the story itself. I mean, you know, Violent Night, like, you know, like, what is Violent Night about? You can pretty much quickly, but it's like Die Hard, but with a real Santa. Santa Die Hard, yeah. <laughs> Santa Die Hard, yeah. And like, again, not a criticism. You know? No, no, um, no. But, I agree with you. But with Fat Man, I'm talking about... Well, you know, there's a financial crisis. And... It's more highbrow, I guess, if you yeah. could say, for a dark Christmas and movie. High, high concept, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's that high concept idea, isn't it? Where yeah. you're, <laughs> you're talking about the economy. You're talking about family values. You're talking about Santa having to kind of, you know, sully himself. He's got to work with the government to create weapons of destruction when he's trying While to bring sucking off to the children. of the government too <laughs> yeah yeah so there's that to me i just find that fascinating and like i say you know all that mixed with a 12 year old spoiled brat hiring a fucking hitman to go kill santa to me there's just so much more there and so just on on that purely on that on that score alone to me i'd have to say fat man i would agree as well and like you said it's not it's not a slight to no. violet night that it is a not it is a die hard the die hard one and two slash even moments of home alone infused movie with santa and and then they pull it off gloriously but you're right. If you think about more original plot, Fat Man is, you know, I don't want to keep saying it, but it has a Tarantino twist to telling the story of Christmas and Santa where we don't even focus on the actual day. And we're actually focusing more on the man and the and the, and the real problems he's facing in the real world. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's not all hand jobs and cookies, you know what I mean, for Santa no. until Christmas. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's definitely a more original and memorable plot. And like you said, there's a lot more twists and turns that happen in it where we just get really great gags and scenes and the other one. So, yeah, tons, tons. Best Santa. Now, this is, was a tough one. Who do you feel played the better Santa? Mr. David Harbour or Uncle Melly Mel Gibson? This is a tough one. Because in the second minute of Violent Night, when David Harbour throws up from his sleigh into the <laughs> face of that old, that old woman who runs the pub in England, you know, this is difficult. I, don't, I, because, I felt the same. Yeah, because it's like, it's a close one. Mm -hmm. oh, it's I very agree. close, actually. I agree with you. Because they're very different Santas. Similar but very different. They have similar issues, but they are handling them in two different ways. <laughs> yeah. I'm going with Mel. Okay. Because because he underplays it. I'm not accusing David Harbour of being a ham, though. I'm just saying, for me, I just like that subtlety. And I like the how I like Mel, Mel Gibson underplaying it. Because he does have a tendency. He is a bit gruff and a bit mm -hmm. grunt. He grunts and, you know, and growls a lot in certain films. And I'm just... And he really, and he can hammer up as well. Mm -hmm. He's not above that, you know. Just watch the Lethal Weapons <laughs> when he yeah, gets well, to play no, Crazy can, Mel. You know, in, in, he um, loves it. He can, yeah, and like Expendables Three, you know. Mm -hmm. he, he's he sort of he can he can. Whereas in this he didn't. So I applaud that, and I I like this more kind of that that vibe of how he approaches it. So for me on this one, I'm going to go with going to go with Mad Mel. 
I, on the other hand, we will split on this one, which is I didn't think we'd be this close as it was. And the only reason I picked David, and it has absolutely nothing really to do with anything Mel did wrong. I think mm. it's just the direction they gave him of the character. David felt more like a Santa. When he first shows up, he's like, I don't even want to help this family out. Like He was like, uh, I just want to get on my sleigh and get the fuck out of here. But these shitty ass reindeer left. <laughs> you know what I mean? So he's trapped in a situation he really doesn't want to be a part of. And right, because yeah. of this young, this little girl needs him, and he realizes that kind of that's what Santa is, or maybe realizes he's, you know, forgotten other kids. And because John Leguizamo has a very similar story or hatred towards Santa as our Walton Goggins character right, does. Right. They, like, like Santa didn't stand in and do something to help him when he was a kid and, you know, get, help him get out of the shitty life he was in. Again, in the tradition of what Santa is, I felt David Harbour was a more traditional feeling Santa who was thrown into where I always did feel like at any moment Mel was ready for violence. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Actually, I don't say that with bad thing. No, I sometimes feel really like good... Mel was ready for violence yeah. at any moment. Yeah, you make a really good point there because if Okay, same Mel Gibson was playing the David Harbour role. You yeah. would expect violence. Yes, yes. And I didn't expect... Whereas with could... David Harbour, you've got the surprise of him suddenly going <laughs> fucking apeshit and killing yes. everyone. Yeah. So you kind of, you you yeah. lose that suspense. Mm -hmm. That's all too believable that Mel Gibson mm -hmm. would go that way. Whereas with David yeah. Harbour, he's kind of cuddly and big and oafish. You're not sure he's going to go all out. Yeah. So when he does, it's a real, like, pump your fist in the air moment, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I see. But that. I do enjoy both of their portrayals because they're both oh. different portrayals that we don't normally get. And that's what I thoroughly love about them. Yeah. You know, I know there's some slasher films out there where like Santa's like this fucking crazy. Per I like the fact that they're. They're, that's too easy. They're, they're put to violence for, for outside factors. Like, yeah. like their hand has been forced. Like, they have no other option but to do this. It's not like they just come in like, I'm cracking fucking kids' skulls tonight. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The better movie. Now our final decision, which we will also put out to you, our listeners, as your choice. Which is the better violent Christmas movie? And again, this is subjective. We are both already saying we love them both. You should watch both of them. We don't have to recommend them to you. If they're on this podcast from this point on, we're recommending them to you. Unless we have some kind of disclaimer at the beginning, like, today we're going to do opposite day. You know, something like that. We are both recommending that you should see both of these films if you're into the diehard type of violent Christmas movie that has the Christmas themes, but just doesn't just tell the funny, shiny I mean, if you want fun, shiny Christmas movies to feel good, Hallmark's going to throw 300 of them at you, all right? So you can wrap your arms around all these B-list actors doing something about coming home for country Christmas or baking at Christmas or any modern main theme at Christmas time, all right? You'll have that. But if you want a little darker edge, which of these two would you say was the better one for the violent Christmas film, Mr. Smith? Okay, so in true Christmas spirit, right? If you want a mainstream crowd pleaser... Look no further than Violet Knight. David Harbour is fantastic. The action is bloody and hilarious. The whole movie is guaranteed to tick the required boxes for some solid festive entertainment. However, if you favour something more twisted, come over to the dark side. <laughs> Perhaps a more brooding and intense take on Santa, it still has enough sweetness and sentimentality under all of the bullets and bloodied bodies. In fact, you could say the same thing about both movies. Watch Violent Night with your friends. You'll laugh your asses off. But when everyone heads home, pour yourself a glass of the hard stuff, light up a cigar, and get into the unique, sinister, and perfectly crafted fat man. Mel Gibson gives an understated performance, and Walton Goggins 
is at his menace and best. So, in conclusion, <laughs> he's a fence sitter again. <laughs> this no, this is this is a double bill that mm. I would recommend to everyone this mm. Christmas. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, I'm going to go with Fat Man because I just found it to be a one of a kind. Whereas I can watch Die Hard. Mm. Gotcha. There are films like that, but there is no other film like Fat Man. So, for pure uniqueness, I'm going Fat Man. For me. I am going the reverse, but not because I picked the movie, um, because I thoroughly enjoyed Fat Man. Thoroughly enjoyed. I love the story. I love the twist on the take. I love that it doesn't take place during Christmas. Walton Goggins. Look, you don't have to like Mel Gibson. That's fine. But if you like Walton Goggins, then you need to watch this film just for him alone. And you can bypass the fact that Mel Gibson's playing Santa. Just take, you'll be okay. I promise you'll wake up the next morning and life will still be okay. But for Walton Goggins alone, if you can't stomach Mel, Walton is spectacular as a villain. And Mel plays an excellent, just curmudgeonly, fuck Christmas type of like, I'm so tired of doing this type of Santa. But for me, as Steve said, I had the most fun, like you said, like uh, Bullet Train. It is surprising. David Harbour has this 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 uh, charisma to him, just like Brad Pitt does in the other movie. There's unrealistic violence, but it's out. It's crazy. Like it sticks to its name, Violent Night. However, it does also hold on to some Christmas cheer and some Christmas joy. So for that, it combines the two things. It combines violence and a little bit of ho 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 happy holidays in it to keep you going. And there are some choice lines from Beverly D'Angelo. Oh, for me, if you want to go, if you want to go down the darker road, you do a three, you do a three-way here. You start off with Christmas Vacation from National Lampoons. You jump into Violent Night, and then Uncle Mel puts you to bed, and you feel a little <laughs> bit dirty at the end of it. it. It really goes down the line of like going from oh shit, this is Christmas is falling off the tracks. But yeah, so for me, it is Violent Night. But we will then put it out to you, our listeners, which one is the better Violent Christmas film? You make the choice. We've given you our take. And the winner is Steve scored the showdown 42 in favor of 2020's Fat Man, while Scott scored 42 in favor of 2022's Violent Night, meaning we currently have a draw. So in the event that there is a draw, we go to the show's average letterbox score of each film based on Steve and Scott's ratings to decide our winner. And the winner with an average show letterbox score of three and a quarter stars is Violent Night. And now it leads us to closing out 2023 with some more inductees into our top 100 films of all time. The Cheeky Bastards Top 100 Films of All Time. We are through 59 to 62 now. We're steadily getting there. I think think once once we reach it, in season three, we'll have to start a top fifty worst movies of all time. I think we'll we'll have to keep this Hall we'll of Fame thing going. Yeah, we'll start doing something else. So we'll start adding things to it. But I will once again get the honor of leading us off. And my first induction, number fifty nine, into our top one hundred. And I I text you this the other day, telling you my two picks, and then realizing, holy shit, they're from the same fucking director. I did not even pay attention to it. That's how fucking dumbass I was. I was like, oh, I like this one. I'm gonna do this one. And I was like, wait a minute. That's the same director. So anyways, I'm going to double bill mine, but we're going to start off first with the Academy Award winning movie of 2008, but it came from 2007. That is No Country for Old Men, directed brilliantly by Joel and Ethan Cohen. No Country for Old Men is a cinematic masterpiece that seamlessly combines the elements of suspense, morality, and exceptional storytelling. Based on Cormac McCarthy's novel of the same name, this film captures the essence of the American West 
with breathtaking visuals and a hauntingly atmospheric score. The Coen Brothers' direction is nothing short of brilliant, which is why they also won the Academy Award for directing. They masterfully build tension through suspenseful and often silent sequences, making the audience feel the weight of every decision the characters make. Pacing is deliberate and unrelenting, mirroring the merciless pursuit of Anton Chigurh, played to perfection by Javier Bardem. The stark, desolate landscape of West Texas, beautifully captured by Roger Deakins' cinematography, serves as a character in its own right, enhancing the film's overall atmosphere. In conclusion, No Country for Old Men is a cinematic gem that excels in every aspect. With a mesmerizing performance by Javier Bardem, masterful direction by the Coen brothers, and a thought-provoking narrative, it has rightfully earned its place in the pantheon of modern cinema. This film is not only a thrilling and suspenseful ride, but an also profound exploration of the human condition in a world that seems to have left old values behind. No Country for Old Men is a must-see for any film enthusiast and remains a timeless classic, and it now proudly resides in our top 100 films of all time. No Country for Old Men. I was late to that one as well. I don't know what happens. I remember when it came out, I was a little bit... I think I kind of... I mean, I'm, I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, mm -hmm. obviously. But I was a bit late to the party on that one. And I think when, when films start winning Oscars, I tune out a bit because I'm a snobby <laughs> bastard. However, it's one of those films like The Departed one the year before where there was a small brief moment of time where we weren't getting the usual artsy-fartsy mm. period. You know what I mean? Like, like the standing, oh, that's going to be the Oscar winner. And yeah. we got some real dark tales and violent tales back to back with The Departed No Country Old Men winning, you know, Best Picture. And, you know, that was, to me, it was like the Halcyon days of the fucking uh, Oscars. We finally getting some really, you know, dark yeah, and gritty movies. It was field, really, that I won, I suppose. So, yeah, definitely classic. And now for number 60 and Steve Smith's first induction of this episode, but we're getting close to the last inductions of 2023. Mr. Smith, number 60. From 1996. Written by Mr. Quentin Tarantino. And directed by Mr. Robert Rodriguez. We have From Dusk Till Dawn. Seth Gecko and his younger brother Richie are on the run after a bloody bank robbery in Texas. They escape across the border to Mexico with the reluctant help of a priest and his kids. Next morning, they'll be home free after they've paid off the local kingpin. All they have to do to survive is spend the night at the rendezvous point, which happens to be a strip joint. Not just any strip joint, mind you. This pussy palace is run by bloodthirsty vampires, slutty succubi, and mutant bikers with an insatiable appetite for human flesh. What a cast. George Clooney, Juliette Lewis, Harvey Keitel, Fred Williamson, Tom Savini, Cheech Marin, Michael Parks, Quentin Tarantino. They give it their all. Not, not often you'll get a budget or cast like this for what is ultimately a B-movie gore fest. And speaking of gore, the amazing special effects by K&B Studios elevate proceedings just as much as Tarantino's script. This is Robert Rodriguez at his peak. It made a leading man out of George Clooney. And Tarantino even delivers a stellar performance. And the, the halfway point switcheroo is just bliss mm -hmm. cinematic heaven i wish i didn't know about that twist as a reader of fangoria at the time i knew it was going to turn into a vampire movie halfway through and i wish i had i wish i didn't have that knowledge because it's a strong enough you know it's a strong enough cr genre crime mm -hmm. movie up until that point so i'm sure there are people out there who who didn't know it was going to turn into a horror movie and that must have just blown their minds mm -hmm. i'm envious of i'm envious of those people but that is my that is my first pick this month. You know how I feel about it. It's a fantastic wow. pick. It is in the top five or top three films of, of Robert Rodriguez, hands down. Probably Sin City may have supplanted that, 
But from dusk till dawn, what a fucking picture. What a picture. And for it to be a, feel like a Tarantino crime movie in the first half and then jump into a glorious B-movie, Robert Rodriguez horror film in all its glory, unbelievable. And the cast, like you said, George Clooney left ER behind in that moment. In yeah. that fucking moment. And then Selma fucking Hayek. Oh, whoa. Shit, I didn't even mention. I do apologize. I don't think you have to mention it. You say from dust to done, everyone should know. Everyone's yeah. like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent fucking choice. Just ironic that my last pick of this episode and of 2023, the 61st into our hall, also comes from 1996. And if you were paying attention, it's also from the same directors as my first, and it also won them an Oscar. It is Fargo, directed by the Coen brothers. Fargo stands as a darkly hilarious masterpiece that continues to captivate and amuse audiences more than two decades after its release. Set against the frigid backdrop of rural Minnesota and North Dakota, this crime comedy film delves into the macabre with a unique blend of wit and suspense. The film's brilliance lies in its ability to seamlessly blend the absurd and the gruesome. The characters' Minnesota accents and the everyday mundanity of their lives provide an amusing contrast to the brutal violence that ensues. The Coen brothers' sharp and witty screenplay, filled with memorable lines and quirky characters, keeps the audience engaged from start to finish. The cinematography, once again, under the skilled eye of Roger Deakins, captures the bleak and snow-covered landscapes, adding to the film's distinctive atmosphere. The barren setting serves as a perfect backdrop to the criminal activities and the bizarre occurrences that take place within. Fargo is a film that defies easy categorization. It's simultaneously a crime thriller, a dark comedy, and a character study. Coen Brothers' ability to blend these genres into a seamless and entertaining narrative is a testament to their storytelling prowess. This film is a cinematic gem that continues to be celebrated for its unique style, unforgettable characters, and pitch-perfect blend of humor and violence. It's a film that has left an indelible mark on the world of cinema and remains a must-see for anyone who appreciates dark comedy with a distinct icy twist. And now, it resides proudly in our top 100 films of all time. A gem. The 90s were such a great era of film for Incredible us. Like, I know time. the 70s, it's really, I mean, we were born into them, but it was really not our time. It's like our that parents' our halcyon yeah. of films, and I love the 70s films. And then when I watch 70s films, I watch 90s, like, they're such a kindred spirit to each other. And yeah. And I, I hate to be like a cinematic stop. I just do feel like we were so lucky to grow up and have the films of the 90s. And I'm just hoping that one time we're going to get that spin back around to get more films of that. Because a lot of the films that are, gonna be, that are mine are like 70s or 90s films. You know what I mean? Yeah, we get a couple splatters throughout the 2000s and that. But like a lot of them, like I could literally, we could do a whole 100 on just the films of the 90s. Easy. You know what I mean? Like easily. So that is my final induction for this month and this year. So Mr. Smith, give us the final nail in the 2023 coffin of our inductees with number 62. I do believe also... A film from our glorified 90s. This is absolutely true. Okay, so from 1997, directed by Curtis Hansen, we have L.A. Confidential. Now, L.A. Confidential is a complex moral opera set in the 1950s where cops, hookers, tabloid journalists and gangsters mesh together through the day-to-day -day hustle and bustle of post-war Los Angeles. Ed Exley, played by Guy Pearce, is the new golden boy of the LAPD is determined to make it to the top of the heap, no matter who's in the way. However, his ambitions bring him into conflict with everyone, including Captain Dudley Smith, played by James Cromwell, who has a more experienced view of law enforcement. You've then got Detective Bud White, played by Russell Crowe, who takes great pleasure in beating confessions out of those he believes to be guilty, and Jack Vincennes, played by Kevin Spacey, a cop and celebrity schmoozer who works as a technical consultant 
for a popular TV cop show. Now, when a nightclub massacre leaves six dead, including a former cop, three black juveniles are soon arrested. However, this apparently cut-and-dried case soon snowballs, and Exley, White and Vincennes soon uncover corruption that may lead to the very top of law enforcement. Also figuring into the expanded mystery are Sid Hudgens, played by Danny DeVito, who's the editor of a sleazy tabloid called Hush Hush, who gets tips of celebrity arrest ahead of time. And there is also Lynn Bracken, played by Kim Bassinger, a call girl and Veronica Lake lookalike, who seems to be connected to a sleazy businessman, Pierce Patchett, played by Dave Strather. Despite their antagonism towards each other, exacerbated by their mutual attraction to Lynn Bracken, Ed Exley and Bud White link up to get to the bottom well, to the bottom of it all, and serve up their own particular brand of justice. LA Confidential grossed $126 million against a $30 million budget and received two Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actress for Kim Bassinger and Best Adapted Screenplay by Brian Hel- Helgeland and Curtis Hansen. And in 2015, the Library of Congress selected LA Confidential for preservation in the United States National Film Registry as culturally historically and aesthetically significant now i don't know if you've ever read a james elroy book essentially he does the same thing in every book where he has three different characters mm-hmm. pursuing three different things and they all converge at the end now that's a, that seems quite simple but the world he's created i think it's a shame we didn't we didn't get more stuff like yeah. this yeah so i think this film gives us because a lot of people were saying there's no there's no way you could film these books but i think these guys curtis hansen said hold my beer yeah I think, I mean, as a reader of James Elroy, I think they really pulled it off really well. But I just, I just feel like they gave us the blueprint. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we could, agreed. And all the other James Elroy books I've yeah. read, oh, I just love to see them on the big yeah. screen. Um, so, but you know what? You got such a great cast in this as well. You know, I mean, it, this film kind of gave us Guy Pearce. It yeah. gave us Russell Crowe, really. Yeah. Kim Bassinger is just class. And look, I know another guy, Kevin Spacey, a little bit of a checkered past, but he he had a great run in the 90s. Great run. As you've pointed out, this whole 90s thing, I find it, actually, I had to double check because I couldn't believe that this came out after From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. It, this was up against Titanic well, won the Academy Award. Titanic's a piece of shit. I don't care what anyone says. Well, it's a dog it. shit. doesn't even hold water comparing it to this film. Not even close. Yeah. Just like... When Forrest Gump beat out Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, like doesn't hold water against those no, films. They're just easy softball home run picks for the Academy Award, and it's too too bad because a movie like L.A. Confidential was a far is is a far superior film than Titanic. We're not even going to yeah. debate that because whoever wants to debate man, that is out of their depths. I'll be yeah, honest I think with where L.A. Confidential is quite lucky is it is um, the budget is all there. It's all up on the screen. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. period piece. So you watch it now, and it doesn't date the film. You know, the film is... And it's expertly acted, filmed, directed, everything. Yeah, so, so yeah. And it's the first film you've stolen from me. I had it on my list the first oh, time. Oh, you fucking well. son of a bitch. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, for me, this just blew my, this blew my mind, this film. And I saw this... Before I'd read a James Elroy book, mm. this put me on. This turned me on to him. This put you, you on know, him. I, yeah, and then I was just you were away, and I, I I was hooked, and I read all his books. So yeah, there you go. Well, there you go. Our last inductees for the year of 2023, 
Number 59 through 62, they are from 2007, No Country for Old Men. From 1996, from Dust Till Dawn. From 1996, Fargo. And from 1997, L.A. Confidential. That will do it for another action-packed movie showdown. Now you can join in on the debate and let us know who you had as the winner of this month's head-to-head cinematic battle by following the show on all its socials. Those links can be found in our show notes. And be sure to join us again in two weeks for our latest episode of Dropping a Bruce, available just like this podcast, exclusively on the Last of the Action Heroes Podcast Network, where you can find other amazing shows dedicated to such iconic action stars as Stallone, Lundgren, Van Damme, Schwarzenegger, and Seagal. The link to the network can also be found in the show's notes. We hope you'll drop in again next month to help us kick off the new year as we pick two underrated Arnold action flicks against one another as 1987's The Running Man squares off against 1988's Red Heat for Schwarzenegger's supremacy. So until then, stay explosive, my friends. This has been a Man with an Exceptional Beard production.